We talked about how with Jesus basically, in so many words, he's, it, it, the New Testament, Jesus, his ministry, his life, everything, it's a new game plan. It's just like, here it is. It's not like it's like God was wrong in the Old Testament, and then he figured it out in the New Testament. Because like that Bible verse earlier in Zechariah kind of proves that that's not the case at all, that Jesus was intended from the get-go, that God saw what was necessary from the get-go. Even from the beginning of time, God knew how it was going to be. But I think it has to do with the with redemption story, with the humanity, and, and getting into its worst, trying things religiously and, and, and ritualistically, and then finding out that that's not going to work. We can't get to God our own ways and our own strengths and our own, you know, you know whatever. You know, we can't, we can't do it in our own strength. We need some help. So I think we, the humanity needed to be shown that. And I think that's what the Old Testament period was all about. Because it brings us to the gospel, which is full of grace and mercy. Ideas and virtues and concepts that we take for granted today that Jesus literally pioneered. The way of the world at this time wasn't like this. He literally pioneered a new way of life. And so, it, but, but the thing is, in doing so, he's, it's almost like a contrast like, here is the darkness of sin. Here's the darkness of humanity. Here's the darkness of our circumstance situation. Now, look at how beautiful and wonderful God is. Boom. And then you put this beautiful light upon the dark canvas. And so it's a, it's a, it, it paints a picture of contrast. And so because of that, there's going to be a lot of people who think, we'll call these pseudo-theologians, who think they've got it figured out, who think they understand God in his heart. But they don't because they don't understand Jesus. And Jesus is here. And like that vile verse earlier, like I said earlier, with all the information that was available to them in the Old Testament, they should have been prepared like the wise men from, the, the pagan wise men from the East. They were familiar just from the limited amount of information they may have received from the influence of Daniel and the Exodus, you know, or the, um, the exiled, you know, Israel and Judea. I mean, they, they received certain bits of information so that they could actually piece together. So they were able to see the coming of the Messiah. And that's what we celebrate in Christmas, the, the three wise guys, or the wise men from the east, you know, or the rulers or the princes, whoever they may be. They were in anticipation. They understood. And so it is with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other religious and Jewish folks who, who were the, 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 like I said, the pseudo-theologians. They should have known and seen Jesus is coming. He, we're expecting a new game plan, a new thing, and we need to be flexible. We need to be ready. And that's why we were talking about traditions and we're going to continue on with traditions. So we last week introduced ourselves to four new traditions. One's the tradition of mercy. And that's what Jesus said. Listen, you know, I know you guys don't eat with sinners. You don't hang out with sinners. That's fine. But I do because I want to reach sinners. I want to reach out to people. And how else are you going to reach out to people unless you spend time with them, getting to know them, getting to relate to them, giving them the gospel. And he wasn't a compromiser. He wasn't sinning with sinners. He was there to light, to illuminate, and to salt, to season their lives, to change their lives. And I think these sinners, and it's very clear by the way their attitudes have been presented, isn't that they were, you know, proud and smug and looked down upon Jesus. Or they recognized their need for Jesus. And I think that's an important element to when we come 
to people in our lives, that sinners need to recognize their need for them. And we need to be able to see that. If somebody is in our lives who we see, they need Jesus so bad, but they're so proud. They think they got it. They look down upon Christianity. There's no way we're going to reach them. But the sinners Jesus dealt with, we're ready for Jesus. They're ready. And Jesus was ready to take them all the way. Hey, not only am I going to save you, but I'm going to make you a disciple right away. Hey, Matthew, you are going to be a disciple. So he's ready to go for it if we're ready to let him in. So there's the mercy part, the tradition of hospitality. Again, you know, we touched on the fact that, you know, again, visiting people and, and, and taking visitors and guests, you know, uh, even for the elders of the church, we talked a little bit about that and, and being open to various kinds of people, not just our own social, you know, economical, you know, cultural group, but, you know, various people be open. And, and hospitality, I think, is more than just opening your home, but opening your lives and your hearts and being able to just to sit and listen to people, you know, and be, be willing to, to, to engage with people. A tradition of relevance. We'll see more of that today, actually, as he goes on. Relevance, meaning timeliness. You know, does this make sense for today? Or is this something that made sense maybe 20, 30, 40, 500 years ago? <laughs> but no longer, people were kind of, what do we do this for again? I mean, we started this tradition for some reason, but what, what's it for? We need to ask ourselves, what's this for? You know, does is, is this really make any sense nowadays? The tradition of flexibility. Again, like that sheepskin or that whatever, that, you know, wineskin, you know, that made of an animal skin, you know, if it's old, it doesn't stretch, no flexibility. And and he made that illustration. We need to be flexible with the things that we do, our traditions. And so two things that we specifically learned from last week that are common with, with, with two situations we talked about, both with the, with him calling Matthew and, you know, in eating with um, the sinners. And the second example was with when John's disciples came and said, listen, why don't you fast all the time like we do? And he goes, because now is not the time for it. Both of those examples, what Jesus was, his mission was, plans, what he was actually doing, and the reason why he was doing the things that he was doing was because he was spending time with people, instructing them, teaching them, informing them on the kingdom of God. So he was being with people. He's being with sinners. He's being with his disciples and healing people. He can't go out and heal people. He can't go out and touch people's lives if he's sitting and fasting. He goes, this is not the time for that. We need to go out and be active. There's a big slide for you right there. Uh, There's not many slides, so don't worry. They actually get smaller and smaller as time goes on. So Matthew 9, 18 says this, while he was saying this, what was he saying? We should be flexible. That's basically, that's in context, right? He's talking about flexibility, like the whole wineskins and the patches on clothing. We need to be flexible. While he was saying, so he was talking, it was a mid-thought, you know, we need to be flexible. You know, maybe we need to be open to, to what God's doing just now. At that time, a synagogue leader. Now, a synagogue leader, the words you see down here at the bottom, synagogue is actually implied in the texts. But it's not really actually found there. So the literal definition is, um, is archon, which is uh, a ruler. It could be a Roman, Greek, Grecio, Roman you know, leader or um, ruler or landlord or whatever. Uh, commander, chief leader. Um, Luke and Mark name him as, as Jarius or Jarius, however you want to pronounce it. Um, and, uh, but, but again, you know, I think tradition, speak of tradition, which could be good, could be bad, 
kind of suggests that he was a synagogue leader. So was he a synagogue leader or not? We don't, I, I don't really know. But the reality is he, he had some authority and some control. But he came to Jesus like the centurion with humility. Okay? Again, when we go to Christ, we don't go to him demanding and shouting, naming and claiming. We go to him with humility. Kneeling before him. You are the son of God. And you can help. Humility. Like the centurion. And he said to him, my daughter has just died. Luke says that his daughter was about 12 years old, so just to put in your mind um, the kind of situation that we're dealing with here. She's very young, 12-year-old girl, and he either is, believes that she is dying or died. Um, and again, in Luke, he says, that, according to Luke's perspective, that she is dying, so she's pretty close. She's very, very ill. So come and put your hand on her. Again, seeing and knowing Jesus' touch on a person heals, and she will live. It's interesting how the last centurion says, actually, all you have to do is say the words. <laughs> and and, that's, and that is a touch in a spiritual sense because Jesus is fully in touch with the spiritual realm and spiritual reality. He, he commands the spiritual powers to be, you know, to, to do something. They will do it because he's the chief. He's the boss. Here, it's a different situation. He goes, come, see her, touch her. That touch will be enough. Um, but what did Jesus do? Again, being flexible, teaching about flexibility, he got up. It's something we need to do. I'm not going to make an appointment. <laughs> I'm not going to. And the thing is, Jesus could have made an appointment. He, he, he knew the situation. He knew her medical condition. We'll see that shortly enough. And he could have, she could have been dead like Lazarus. Remember with Lazarus, he waited a couple of days and, and the ladies got pretty upset about that. Well, here, he could have waited. He's Jesus. But, he, but, for some, but because of God's timing and for all the circumstances, all that lays before him in the scenario and all what God's planning on doing, he saw that the time is now. So he didn't hesitate. He got up and he went. And I like this. Maybe, this is, maybe, the, maybe the whole point of this is, for, is to teach the disciples a lesson. Remember what he said earlier? You know, I'm going to go. I'm not going to wait. Remember? When one disciple says, hey, you know, um, I always say, you know, I want to follow you anywhere. And he goes, well, I've got no home. And then the other disciple, I'll follow you, but I've got to wait until my dad dies. I'm going now. And so he's maybe trying to, again, show his disciples, we're going. Are you with me? So he got up, he went, and his disciples went with him. That's what Christ's disciples do. We stay close to him. We follow him. So we see flexibility. We see timeliness uh, here in Christ's reaction. Okay, going on, just then, so at this moment, it's almost like a parenthetical part. So here he's thinking, go, go minister to this girl. But there's a woman that shows up. And just try to put your, your foot in, in her shoes and feel her pain. This is quite a sad situation. Very similar to the, to the leper. Remember the leper who came to Jesus and bowed before him? And, and, and the leper being unclean. You know, and, but he's brazen. He's like, I know that you can heal me. You know, but you're not supposed to touch me. You're not supposed to be anywhere near me. Same situation with her because of this bleeding problem that we're going to see here. Let's read it. Here's then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. Other gospels kind of show what's going on in the background and in her thought. And really the picture is painted here that she sees her need, but she also sees that she's kind of gross. She's unclean. This bleeding, whatever this bleeding is, where it's coming from, a skin, a legion, whatever it could be. She could be hemophiliac. She could be, you know, maybe a woman situation. Whatever it is, but she was bleeding for a long time. 
for 12 years, she had this problem. And, and, and imagine constantly feeling unclean, like a leopard, unclean. Because not only is the problem kind of menacing and probably even painful, but ceremonially, she was doomed as unclean. She couldn't worship God. Imagine not being able to worship God because you're unwell. That's a pretty sad situation. Let alone touch somebody. Let alone touch the Messiah, the Son of God. So her, she's like, I'm not even going to approach Jesus. I'm just going to just, 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 you know, boop, his cloak as he goes by, and hopefully that'll heal me. Right? So real down and out kind of person. Again, I wrote down here on the bottom the, the, the situation. Um, hemorrhage is how it's translated in some translations. Uh, the word is actually um, hemorrhoid, which is where we get the word hemorrhage from. Hemorrhoid. It means to suffer from the flow of blood, to have a discharge of blood or to lose blood, like a hemophiliac, you know, possibly. Whatever this was, again, and I'm saying again for emphasis, and it's written there, she was considered unclean. And, so she, and she was very aware of it. And, and, but yet, her faith. And he turns to her. Look down here, he turns to her. He saw her. Isn't it cool to see how Jesus is so plugged in with what's going on? There's no fool in Jesus. He knows what's going on. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what you're suffering from. He knows. He knows. And so her, she's just like, I'm just going to... But he felt the presence. He knew the presence. He knows what's up. And he looks at her and he goes, listen, don't be worried. Don't be bothered. Take heart. Your faith has healed you. Again, we're seeing proof here. And we're going to see more proof here that faith actually is a big part of the healing process. You know, Jesus came to heal us spiritually. But he also can, if he chooses to, heal us physically. But we've got to put our full total trust in him. But it's cool. That's why I linked it to the arrow. Heart, faith, faith in Christ gives us um, confidence. Take heart. That means, you know, sharpen up, lively up, you know, be of joy, have joy. And faith leads to joy. It leads to the confidence, this, this heart, this taking heart, this sincerity, this confidence. And at that moment, as it says here, at that very moment, she was healed. Again, we see Jesus healing. Amazing. Next slide, please. And that's not it. Because like the title says, we got four healings and a funeral. That's the first. Next one, continuing on, Matthew 9, starting in verse 23. says, when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing bagpipes. And I just let you know I added the word bagpipes to it. Actually, the NIV does say pipes. If anybody's got the NIV, but I put the word bagpipes. Um, he said, go away. Now these people, these, this noisy crowd, and, and, and again, other gospels elaborate more, but it's very clear these were professional mourners. They're people who were hired. And if he was a ruler, you know, he wanted to, to, to really kind of drum up some attention. And it's, it's culturally something that they would do. It's like having a birthday party or you know, whatever you want to, you pay to have the show, you know. And, and so he would have these professional mourners come in and shouting and scream. And apparently they're also Scottish because they're playing bagpipes. So there you go. Scottish people were in Jerusalem at the time of Christ. I'm just joking. When I do these. No, he was not. They, they, they say that um, Pontius Pilate was, was Scottish from Perth. So I don't think so. Regardless, as I was putting this slide together, I was getting a little bit silly, so I did add some, so please don't hold it against me. I, can, I get silly and bored sometimes when I'm putting things together. So 
These people, though, were professional mourners, and they're there to, 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 to scream and to wail and to play music and to announce the death, a sad, sad thing. And he says, go away. <laughs> we don't need you because there's no death here. He hasn't even seen her yet. How does he know that, she's, that, that they need to go away? How does, how does he know that there's no need for mourning? The girl's not dead, but asleep. Now, the word asleep is coming kind of confusing um, because the word sleep is kathido, um, kathido. And it's to sleep, it normally means to sleep, cathudo, like catharsis, you know, sleepy, you know, cathudo, to, to sleep, right? But also could be used as a euphemism, kind of a polite way of saying to be dead, rather than say, oh, they're dead, no, they're sleeping. It's kind of a polite way of saying, you know. So it could be used that way. And in fact, Paul uses that. He goes, there's many in the church who have fallen asleep, and he's referring to people who have died. So we know that that could be used for that. Um, as opposed to necros, we might be familiar with the word necros, meaning to, to, to death as well. That's the, that's the word dead, as opposed to, you know, cathudo. So the question is, was she dead or was she just sleeping? And does it really matter? Well, if she was dead, there's a couple things we know about the story. She was dead, but in light of Christ's power, she might as well have been sleeping. Think about it. And that's why I like how Paul used the word sleeping. Really, we're, when we die and pass away, we're just sleeping. This is a resurrection because of the power of, of God. And we know, we trust that Jesus will raise, I guess this here's second point, Christ is able and he will raise the dead. Lazarus, he died, he rose from the dead. And, that we, and so we know that story and we trust that story to be true and accurate. But, he's, but Jesus is going to die again. Well, he did die again. But he's going to be resurrected and so will we. So we have no problem with her dying and being resurrected. That's what, that's what Jesus does, what God does. But was she sleeping? Again, maybe there's no theological problem with her sleeping either. Because she was still obviously ill, obviously seriously ill, enough to have the mourners here and the thought of her dying. So, 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 it was, so she was very seriously ill, and we need to take that in, in, into consideration. And through Christ's power, she was immediately healed. That, we haven't finished reading this, the, the portion of scriptures yet, but think about it as we read it. So that's still a miracle, and we have no problem with it. God still, people are still rising from the dead. People are being healed who are seriously, mortally ill. Jesus, here's the fascinating thing. Again, this blows me away. Jesus knew her medical condition before he even saw her. He knew her medical condition. He knew her state before he even saw her. He walked in, ah, she's going to be all right. Look at the confidence he has, but also how in touch he is with, with reality. Jesus was totally in touch with reality. Take that into board with our own lives. Knowing and trusting Jesus is in touch with reality. He knows our situations, he knows our problems, he knows our woes, he knows our trials and tribulations. And yet still, again, Jesus still raised people from the dead, so we have no problem with it. So it says, they laughed, these mourners, they laughed. But then after the crowd's been put outside, okay, that's it, get him out of here. He went in, he took the girl by the hand, and she got up. And now we're going to start seeing a theme here, news of this being spread throughout the region. We're going to see more and more of this. And again, we're going to see this, and I'm going to confirm this in a moment, that the, a lot of what Jesus is doing here is authenticating his Messiahship. It's one thing to say, I am the Messiah, but this right here is God agreeing, you know, through these miracles that he indeed is the Messiah. So, moving on, we have the next healing. Matthew, so we have two healings, got two more to go through, and a funeral. Matthew 9, 27, 31 says this, and we'll move by through this really quickly. You should be done in the next five to ten minutes. As Jesus went out from there. So look how busy he is. He's moving, he's moving, he's moving, he's moving. So now he leaves from that situation, and then two more people show up, two blind fellas, and they're following him. 
don't know how they're falling about tripping and falling, but they're very dedicated guys here. And they're calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. Mercy. I love the word mercy. I wrote it down here, and I'll read it, and you can read it with me. Um, Elul. Elul. To relieve affliction. Alleviating, or alleviate suffering or distress. Ease misery. That's what, see, we think mercy, I think a lot of times we think of mercy as just being maybe compassionate. But it's, it's more active than that, to, re, to relieve affliction. It's very active to alleviate suffering or distress, to ease misery. It is the concrete expression of pity. I like that. It's concrete expression. It's not just, oh, I feel for you. Oh, that's a shame. It's concrete expression of pity and compassion for the destitute or those in misery with which undertakes to mollify, which means to come down to have, to, be, to, to, to relieve anxiety or to relieve anger. That's what it means to mollify, to relieve anxiety or to relieve anger or remove their suffering. So it's very accurate. How can I help? And that's what I'm saying. Jesus, we need help. We're suffering. We need help. And you're the son of David, acknowledging that he's the anointed Messiah. He's the one in the line of the Son of David. That's that this title, Son of David. You are the Messiah. And we acknowledge it or recognize that. We believe in you. So when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him. So they're still following him. And he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And it's interesting because Jesus should know that they're able to believe. And isn't that kind of how we are? I think of Romans. Romans says, if you believe in your heart. Well, Jesus knows that we believe in our hearts. He knows that they believe in their heart, but he also wants them to confess with their mouth. Do you believe they're able to do this? I want to hear it. And sometimes God wants us to, to confirm what's in our heart by shouting out with our mouths. And they say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, they replied. So then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith. Again, here's a second example of, today, of faith. is necessary components in healing. It's not going to always be the reason why we're healed or not healed, but it is a component of why we are healed. According to your faith, let it be done to you, and their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. Interesting. Isn't he supposed to be authenticating his ministry? Why would he want nobody to know about this? Well, probably because he needs to keep going on. Imagine all those sick people in town you know, showing up all of a sudden. And, and Bible knowledge commentary says in the very bottom there, I got this. I think, I think it's really well said. His miracles were for the purpose of authentic his claims. You know, making sure it's like seal of approval that he is who he says he is. Jesus came primarily, though, and I like this, for spiritual healing. We say this all the time, not physical healing. So his job on the cross and people to know him spiritually is the most important healing. The physical sets second seat to that. But again, they went out and spread the news. So the second time we see this, spreading news about him all over the region. So the fame of Jesus is being spread. The knowledge of him, the, the, the acknowledgement of Jesus is going all through the region. And Jesus wasn't joking when he said, foxes have dens and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place for his head. He's busy. He's active. He's out there doing the work. Matthew nine thirty two goes on to say, while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed. So yet another. This is the fourth one. Yet another. Does he ever get a break? He couldn't talk. He was mute because of his demon possession. Again, we talked about reasons why a person might you know, be ill. 
you know, and this is one of the reasons might be a faith or lack of thereof, right? Another reason possibly could be deemed possession. We need to count that, you know, the spiritual realm is being there and, 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 and spiritual realm, spiritual oppression is possible. It happens in, I think, many, many people's lives. I don't think we really give it much thought. But here Jesus saw that this man was spiritually oppressed. And because of that, he was mute. He couldn't speak. So, it, when, so the demon was driven out. And the man who had been mute began to spoke. Simple as that. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. So with that, caring for people. That's what we see Jesus doing. Caring for people is very tiring. Jesus knows how hard it can be. And he's with us. He's with you. The last one, and we're going to end with the slide in the next few minutes. And this is the funeral bit. Matthew 9, 32, 33. Is that right? No, 34. Sorry, I forgot to change that. This is 34. Matthew 34, the last verse. It says this, but the Pharisees, these religious people who should have known better, said, it's by the prince of demons, Beelzebub, whatever they may have said, that he drives out demons. So by the power of the devil, basically, Jesus operates. Wow, what do you see here? Sad, sad statement. So out of touch with reality, aren't they? Because they're jealousy, maybe? Because they can't do these things, and here's the Son of God, not realizing that they should be on the same team. <laughs> but instead, they envy him. And they were wrong. Their response was erroneous. It was wrong. They didn't understand. That's not what happened. Jesus did not cast out demons by the power of demons, but by the power of God. So here's, that's why I call it the funerals. It's sad. To be spiritually dead is sad. And dead religion is spiritually dead. And that's what we see an example here, the Pharisees. So here, again, is three of the four traditions that we mentioned earlier. Let's, let's revisit them in light of what we're learning today. The tradition of mercy, right? Which I've already described mercy, you know. But dead religion can be insensitive to actual care of people's pains, like them. Rather than acknowledging the good that Jesus is doing, ah, it's only because of Satan that he's healing people. What? Insensitive. The tradition of relevance, we talked about that, timeliness. Dead religion is usually going to miss out on what God is doing now because it's stuck in the past. It is misinformed, probably because of, again, outdated traditions. <clears throat> and lastly, we see the tradition of flexibility. Dead religion is inflexible and unable to follow God's spiritual guidance. God's doing something. God's kingdom is there. They have the information. They have the knowledge. But they needed to be in touch with what God's doing. And they were unable to. So instead they rejected what God was doing. Because of their inflexibility. Don't let this happen to you. May I never let this happen to myself. And may Cornerstone never suffer from this. We may be few. We may be small. But as long as we're flexible and willing and able to follow God's leading as he leads us. We can do amazing things. Like we learned today, if you see Kids Club, it's an amazing thing. And other things that God has planned for us, as we grow, and I can see as we grow, even a little bit at a time, there can be some pretty amazing things happening. But we can't get stuck like the Pharisees and start to get jealous and, and get frustrated with each other, you know, and, and miss out on what God's doing. That's what happened to the Pharisees, and it's so sad, isn't it? So here's Jesus doing amazing things, and he's cooking, he's cooking. 
But here's these religious people who just totally don't get it. And they say, ah, ah he's probably demonic himself. Wah! How wrong could you get? So let's bow our heads and pray. <laughs> <laughs>